When we're young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. Somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Smart Strong features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back, the smart pain. Okay, welcome back to Smart Strong, everybody. I'm back again. This is your host, Ben James. I'm with my colleague and good friend again, Jacob Stain. Morning, Jacob. Good morning, Ben. So we've talked a lot so far around the back, around back anatomy, talked a lot about the muscles. Today we're talking hip, and we're talking about why the hip plays such a fundamental role in back health and in resisting back health. We're going to talk a little bit about the anatomy, as we've done um, with previous episodes on the back. And then again, as always, talking around some of the exercises we can be looking at to increase mobility because the hip is where we want to see more movement. And previously, we've been talking about resistant movement. So listen in as we talk and we visit the hip and uh, give you some advice about how to manage the hip and, and focus on the hip when you're looking at your back health. So, Jacob, why don't we start with a little bit of anatomy around the hip, some of the key uh, fundamentals, some of the key muscles. Obviously, we don't need to go into too much depth, but there's some important things that we want to we want to cover and emphasize to the listeners. Sure. Uh, we probably have to look at which muscles actually crosses the hip joint. At sure. the back, at the back, we have the posterior chain. The main muscles there are the, uh, the big uh, buttock muscle, the glute max, and then we have the glute knee which is the uh, smaller buttock muscle running a little bit to the side, also crossing the hip joint. And then we have hamstrings also crossing the hip joint. And uh, then we go to the front. And if we look at the front, we have a very big hip flexor, which uh, comes from the low back over the hip joint into the upper leg. And that's the psoas, uh, or the iliopsoas, actually. And uh, recfem also crosses the front of the hip joint, those are the uh, quadriceps, the big uh, upper leg, front of the upper leg muscles. We, yes. have, a, we have a few uh, smaller, deeper muscles that we don't really want to speak about uh, that actually cross the hip joint. Uh, we will mention them, but um, they, doesn't, they don't have such a, a big relevance to the, to the actual movement. They more, uh, have, have more of a stabilizing effect. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and when you say t- stabilization, I think that's one of the key things that we we kind of try and educate people on is the the joint in itself is a highly stable joint and it's that that ball and socket joint but the socket is really quite a deep socket so the stability there at the hip is is significant especially compared to the shoulder yes so yeah a very a very uh very stable joint a deep ball and socket joint as you mentioned but it also has uh consequences and we're going to speak about that a little bit more. Yeah, so I think one of the things that maybe is a good place to start with with the hip, as we say, it's a it's a very stable joint. There's some key muscles crossing that joint, and some some very large muscles. So clearly, it's designed for movement, and it's designed for for powerful movement. So that's one thing that we want to talk around around how a lot of people aren't getting much movement or much activity around that joint. I think. As well, there's some important muscles there that you've you've touched on that we find kind of deactivate almost with pain. 
so from from back pain there's evidence there that has a an an influence on stability and as well back to this sedentary lifestyle that we lead sitting in a car sitting at a desk all day what we're finding is those anterior muscles the anterior chain are becoming quite tight and the muscles at the back are becoming weaker which again is making us unbalanced and having an impact on on back pain well that's it when you when you sit a lot you basically turn off the posterior chain the buttocks and hamstrings and low back becomes uh, weaker because the communication from the brain to these muscles become less yeah. and uh, besides the pressure that you have at the hip joint from sitting long periods the front or the anterior group muscles especially the, the iliopsoas that crosses the hip joint this muscle becomes shortened and tight and that's yeah. that's the feeling that you have when you get out of a chair you always feel like oh I need to stretch the front of my hip yeah and, uh, and if we do that uh, for longer periods daily then it's just self-explanatory that we get tight at the front of the hips and we get uh, weak at the, at the back of the hips yeah and and actually touching on that we'll we'll have a video at some stage on the website with a with a stretch for the iliopsoas which is which is quite effective because you often find with a lot of people when they've got back pain it's always in one of those areas that should be um investigated it should be tested in patients just to see well actually is there tightness in that that muscle um around the hip because again as you say we're we're really finding that, that muscle is becoming tighter from from a lot of the sedentary work that we're doing and therefore what is the impact of that on back pain is it being investigated is it being um tested by the clinician or are they just focusing in on specifically where that area of pain is and not looking holistically at, at the patient that's it that's it it brings it back to actually investigating the movement yeah so, looking at uh, what you mentioned before whether we actually uh, fix the pelvis fix the low back and ask the movement to come from the hip joint mm -hmm. and when when we're pretty tight at the front and we are weak or we've been we've become weak at the back uh, at the glutes then the idea of actually fixing the pelvis to a big extent and actually asking the movement to come from the hip doesn't happen so we end up walking more with our quads, with our legs in front of us, or we walk with a, a, a swiveling through the low back. So we actually get this movement through the low back instead of the, okay. the very good extension that we offer from the hip. And do you think it's, again, is it a lack of awareness from, from a lot of people? Because you do, you do often see, you know, when you're, when you're in the kind of profession and you have the background we have, you're often, you know, it's, it's interesting to observe people. Um, because observation is obviously such a key part of what we do in in terms of um, management of patients. Um, but you do see this poor movement through the hip, like you say, kind of quad dominant. So they're walking almost from the knees, as it were, which for some of the listeners is going to be a little bit confusing. But you almost see um, that there's there's a bit of flexion at the hip and there's really not much drive through that hip. And yet it's such a big, powerful joint and the muscles are so big. Why is that movement not overriding these poor movements? How do you think patients are getting to this stage? Is it just simply poor habits or is that sitting just deactivating these muscles? And I think it's unawareness. I think people aren't really aware of this. And I think uh, making just just knowing that when you get out of a chair, you've got to try and start walking with pushing through the hip. Yeah, yeah. Or knowing that, okay, 
being aware of what I'm doing with my core. Am I just uh, just walking with being unaware of actually pushing through the hip and flexing my core, or am I actually? I wouldn't say you ha you'd have to brace. We'd like to have happen it by uh, or happen it. Uh, we'd like it to happen naturally. But yeah. if you if you're aware that okay, if I keep my core still, I can actually just push through a little bit the first few steps and, and open up the front of my hip joint. Yeah. Then uh, then you you're already doing a, a big job. Yeah, and I was going to say it's uh, which is it's good that you came in there with that. We've we've talked about how walking can be such a healthy activity for for patients suffering from back pain, and like you say, a, a simple exercise here from a from a hip specific point of view, you know, again is is walking and and like you're saying, just not not ridiculously overemphasize it if if you like, but when you're walking, just be aware of that hip extending and stretching at the front because so many people and you see it so often with patients with back pain there's very little extension at that hip and it's contracting that glute muscle and being aware of it and as you're pushing through try and squeeze that muscle a little bit because gradually you'll notice that you get an increased range of motion which is a specific aim what we're looking for with the hip that, that's it. I think um, for a lot of people, you can already fix a big part of the problem just by this awareness. And I think then there's a big group of people that would have to actually get help from a professional where somebody will uh, help them to activate the posterior chain, hack the glutes and hamstrings, and, and help them to, to learn to understand, to fix the, the core. So we limit the movement coming through the spine. Yeah. And, um, I think that some people will need that professional help from somebody who knows uh, more about this topic. Because, yeah. Yeah, because they don't have that awareness. And, and, you know, some people are better at being aware of this uh, and other people are not so, so good at that. So. Yeah, and, and again, as always, there'll be, there'll be some exercises related to this um, episode on the, on the show notes on the website. And, you know, things like look out for things like the glute bridge for example and and the clams where we're looking to activate the some of these muscles as well because i think some of it is 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 again back to not just training the muscle and looking at building endurance or strength it's it's first of all being able to be aware of it and understand what movements activate some of these muscles so that you can become aware of exactly how you move them um, and again it's back to that education and understanding of how the some of these muscles work and the impact they have and, and often you, you know, like you say, first you want to activate them. At, I think people think that when you go to the gym or you have to do rehab, uh, you have to. And that's what a lot of uh, ladies and gents do is they just jump in there with heavy weights. And yeah. quite, quite often the muscles they want to use aren't actually even activated that well. Yeah. First, first you start with, with low intensity, more reps, a very focused on technique approach. And you activate those muscles, and then you you slowly build it up to greater intensity and fewer reps and, and more complex movements. Because let's face it, the amount of exercises there are and to use to build up glute and posterior strength is there's there's just uh, dozens. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you jump in too too quickly, you see it again so often, and we've mentioned it before. Some of these poor lifting techniques in the gym are not really going through the hip at all. They're going through the lower back, and actually. That's exactly what we don't want to do. So you're therefore not even, you're not training the muscles around the hip 
effectively and then you're putting a lot of pressure on the back so it, it is starting small it's starting with the fundamentals of understanding that movement and back to things like the hip hinge which we've talked about previously um, because that's really going to get you those motor patterns that neurology ingrained so that you are moving through the hips rather than through the back that back stays in neutral again back to the bracing of the muscles um, anterior abdominal wall etc etc uh, and that in itself will will start to make you move through the hips because otherwise you know you're, you're not going to be able to move at all if you're if you're not moving through the back and you're not moving through the hips properly then you're not moving so uh, I think you know like you say it's it's trying to it's trying to be patient on this journey and even if you don't have back pain it, it's it's telling yourself to understand the fundamentals and build up and be patient with with that fitness goal that you may have rather than just jumping in and saying well I'm going to the gym right I'm going to start doing deadlifts you know because great exercise but horrendous if you if your technique's not not what it needs to be you know exactly and and you know just talking about a deadlift uh, or, or any complex movement for that matter you have to start with knowing what am I doing with my core am I using my glutes or am I giving the work to my quads for example if I'm lifting like doing a deadlift uh, I think creating the awareness is the very first step and that starts with small movements uh, then slowly increasing the, uh, the, 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 the technicality of the exercises and uh, how many people I've seen doing a hip hinge well from the start but almost zero. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Having the, having the understanding to actually do the hip hinge and going uh, into giving the work to the hamstrings with a, a neutral spine. I mean, let's face it, it's a very small percentage. Yeah. So creating that awareness is actually key. Yeah, and that, and that's not just in uh, people that may be sedentary. They, you know, that's athletic uh, people as well, yeah. you know, that... Yeah that they're you'll you'll say move through the hips and they move through the lower back and you know when you've got the knowledge and you've been doing it for a long while it it seems so um so simple and so natural to do and yet it is so difficult for so many because the habits have been built up for so long and breaking those habits takes time it takes patience and it takes consistency and um and dedication really because it is but it, again it can't be like with any task you know if you want to improve you've got to put in the time but it is so important because frustratingly you see a lot of patients have been seen by so many different people and again some of these basics are just so simple and yet they're not being they're not being adopted as they should be or they or they sadly haven't even had the advice so they'll get some treatment they'll feel a bit better and they leave the office and bang their back to moving through their back again and uh and the, the cycle continues. So I want to focus in specifically now a little bit on the on the glute med because we we mentioned in the intro how some of these muscles can can switch off um, following an incidence of back pain. And glute med is one of those muscles. There's there's a lot of evidence there now that says if you've got back pain, then sometimes that that glute med muscle isn't even acting activating, firing, or functioning as it should be. You want to talk a little bit about specifically the glute med or gluteus medius we should call it by its proper name yeah sure um the the gluteus medius <laughs> the, the glute med uh it's basically it's a very uh, important muscle because it acts in, in quite a few 
uh, things that you do when you use the hip, for example, and it contributes a lot to low back stability. Because if the glute med on the left is weak, then if you stand on the left leg, the right hip will drop down. And that already causes movement through the low back, through the spine, and that's not what we want. We want to be able to fix the, the, the lower part of the spine with pelvis and then obviously give the movement to the hip. So the, the glute med does that. It, uh, it provides stability when you're on one leg. So in the walking phase, uh, from one leg to the other leg, it ensures that the hips, the pelvis stays horizontal for the biggest part. It's always this a little bit of a gyroscopic movement of the pelvis, but the the main stability or a lot of the stability, uh, together with uh, quadratus lumborum, for this uh, pelvic um, uh, pelvic movement, uh, lateral movement, I would say, comes from the the glute med. And the second. Uh, very important function it has is actually causing this external rotation at the hip so it pulls the knee out outwards but it, it doesn't only pull the knee outwards it um, it stabilizes the hip and I'd like you to think of the the, the, the whole leg as an extension of the hip so if the if the hip is not stable the whole leg is actually compromised the, the knee the foot you know, if the, if the glute med is not pulling the knee out, the knee will drop inwards, and the uh, the, the foot will also flatten. So you look at a, a sort of flat foot pest planus effect, and you'll look at unwanted pressure through the knee. And yeah, so just to finish that, if you if you basically have a stronger glute med that pulls the knee out, that pulls the foot arch into a good position, and you imagine having that stability then uh, running would, would, shouldn't be a problem, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, it, and you know, just um, drawing back on what you've said there, it just goes to show, you know, the, the impact that these things can have and exacerbate and, and the other problems that can be caused. Because when you talk about the, the resistance of, of rotation or internal rotation at the hip, um, which, which is an activity that, that the glute med um, provides or supports, there's evidence to say that you know that movement in itself or resistance of, of um, external rotation at the hip can increase risk of cruciate ligament injuries, for example. Uh, we see that a lot. Um, that, that, that movement is, is classically linked with cruciate ligament injuries. So we're maybe being a little bit catastrophic here, but... If you imagine you've got back pain, your glute meds are, are not firing as they should be, and then you're going out and trying to do exercise or particularly something like football, then are you putting yourself at risk of further injuries? And the evidence suggests that we are. Now, are there many studies that say, well, back pain increases risk of cruciate ligament injury? Probably not. And, you know, it's probably not something that you should be worried about, but it just does show how important that muscle is anatomically. Absolutely. Um, to to activities in the in the lower limb as well, um, which again, if all you're doing is focusing on the area of pain, then you're missing the the whole picture, as it were. Um, so yeah. I think you know certainly you want to be. It, it's a consideration that you want to have, and there's a simple exercise that um, is often prescribed for activation of the glute med, which is which is the clam. Should we talk about that? that a little bit we'll have again video on the website just for 
um, reference because as always it's easier to have um, visual aids with with exercises but it's worth just touching on because it's such an important muscle yeah uh, glute clams uh, they are the exercises well, there's actually a, a group of them there's not only one but it's where you lie on your side and you have your classic examples where you lie on your side and you have your knees pulled up and you keep your ankles or your heels uh, touching each other and you keep your pelvis still so you don't rock backwards when you lie on your side you keep the pelvis still and you raise the knee and so you can you can hold the knee there for a couple of seconds you bring it back you touch the other knee and then you raise it again and it's an isolated movement for the glute meat yeah and it feels like a very silly exercise because you just got to repeat this knee raising uh, but if you do it properly and I find with uh, patients that it, de it depends quite often uh, with with their um, hip anatomy or their pelvis anatomy because there's such a variation in uh, hip joint socket and hip uh, socket positioning, the direction in, in which it faces, that sometimes you have to tweak it a little bit. You have to pull the knees up a little bit or you have to, um, yeah, you have to tweak it a little bit until, until they really find that they're really using the glute meat. But if you get yeah. that, then you can actually just isolate the glute meat movement, and that's how we get communication going from the brain to this muscle. Yeah, and when you say you know it feels like a silly exercise, I think it, it's because a lot of people think, well, I'm lying here doing this exercise and I'm not feeling anything. Um, it's and you know it's important to emphasise that it's not an exercise to build strength and size and bulk in a muscle. You know, like with what a lot of people are doing at the gym to to get stronger etc this is a an activity to get that muscle firing again and get that communication going and that's the important first step exactly and that's a, like we said earlier it's building the base it's low intensity many reps building the communication uh, neurologically and then from there we'll take the next step exactly so i think you know the take home so far is that that the hip plays a fundamental role uh, in our movement and and particularly in our resistance and rehabilitation to back back pain you know if we're going to keep that spine in neutral as we've been talking about for for the last um, however many episodes and we're going to brace then our movement has to start going through the hip we've talked about the hip hinge before and it really can't be um, overemphasized just how important that is so looking at the clam exercise would be a good one to get that muscle firing whether you've been tested or not, you're not going to do any damage by by focusing on that and getting a better understanding of, of how that muscle works and get that communication going. And then the other element that you can start to do from today is focus more on your walking and focusing on extending that hip properly and contracting those muscles in the in the buttocks as you're pushing that leg backwards and through so that you can just start to be more aware of the hip, more aware of the movement and the movement potential so that we're looking at that range of motion because this is like we say where we want to see more movement not less so around the spine we were looking at those muscles to resist movement and in the hip we want to increase movement that's where we want to see the movement coming from because not only is it going to spare your spine but actually if we're looking at sporting activity then the muscles around that hip are so powerful that's where you're going to get a lot of your speed and power from and you're going to be a lot more efficient and a lot more effective when you're doing athletic activities and just coming back to that point athletic activities and 
some of the people that are going to be going to the gym and doing deadlifts and things, often what we see is everyone's trying to do a deadlift from the ground. And I think this is something that is important to touch on. Um, we learned this and we discussed this at depth at the at the McGill seminar we did out in Holland. That hip screen is so important because not everyone has the anatomical potential to do a really deep squat. And there is genetics and history um, that will affect that. And we talked about how people of, of Polish descent as a rule have the ability to squat very deep their their hip joints allow it whereas those with celtic descent have less range so if you're trying to squat right to the floor you're going to find it some people are going to find it very difficult to keep that back straight and do that exercise and therefore we've got to start thinking about lifting that bar off the floor and that's something that i think it's important to touch on for those that are going to the gym already yes i think especially because we're talking about the hip and I think it's it's another part of the awareness, uh, being aware of what your own anatomy and your own body is capable of. And like you mentioned, there's this this big variation between the uh, what we call the Eastern European hip and the Celtic or Scottish hip, and um, the Polish uh, being a very good example of uh, a Eastern European hip where they have a lot of uh, range of motion because of the shallowness of the hip joint socket and quite often the direction in which it points so it points more towards the the front of the person you know anteriorly and quite often more to the side so you have this uh, this advantage of actually making a deep squat with a neutral spine and if uh, like like Ben mentioned if you have somebody screening the hip range of motion that you have as an individual it gives you this awareness of what is the range that I can work with if I do a deep squat, how deep can I squat um, potentially if my muscles and my nervous system supports me to make this, this, this as deep as I can go uh, without breaking a neutral spine, for example, you know, or a, a protected spine position. And um, I think that's where a lot of people see uh, video of a professional weightlifter and they think wow you know this this russian dude he can nearly touch the ground with his bum when he's got 200 kilograms over his head like clock off but <laughs> you have to you have to be realistic if you if, yeah. if, if you're for example dutch we have i think from my testing so far testing patients i've tested dozens over here um over here at least in, in the west of europe we have more of a generally more of a, a Celtic Scottish hip position. So what we have at our gym, for example, is I've made blocks so people don't actually pull from the ground, but so we can stack these blocks up in, in 10 centimeter uh, 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 heights. So they actually pull off the blocks. And this is very, very, very important because what coming back to what we're saying, what Ben said a lot in the beginning, is actually limiting the movement through the spine, but giving it to the hip. And if you're not pulling uh, from a high enough position, doing your deadlift uh, or any other complex weight move, then you're going to have to compromise the position of your low back. You're going to move through the, through the low back. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's, that's take-home message number three, really, is 
just be aware of 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 that hip mobility when you when you are doing a deadlift if you are doing deadlifts um as we say you know we're not we're not avoiding those activities clearly we are if you're 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 currently suffering from back pain because we've got a uh, we're not at the stage to do deadlifts but if if you're training for athletic endeavors and uh and you're listening in out of interest rather than um because of a of suffering from back pain at this moment in time just be aware of that because like you say Jacob you know it, it is fundamentally important because if you don't have that anatomical ability you have to compromise your spine if you're all going to try and do the deadlift from the floor it's just impossible for the whole of the population to do so it is an important point that that we need to make so a relatively short episode today just focusing in on some of the key fundamentals of the hip uh, and just being aware of how important that is from a stability point of view and also from a generating power point of view and there's some key things that we can be looking at and take home messages that you can be focusing on from today which are get that glute med firing start walking and being aware of your walking stride and extending through the hip and feeling those buttock muscles contract as you're walking really focus in on that because it will make a big difference and it over time you will notice an increased range of motion particularly if you're an office worker this is really important just to get that movement um, through the hip and improving that and then if you are going to the gym if you are doing exercises such as deadlifts be aware of that anatomical capability in the hip just so that you know that you're lifting from a position of safety and you're not compromising that lower back because the hip will certainly help um, on your road to recovery with back pain so as always head on over to the website and look at some of the other resources that will give you some visual aids to help with some of those exercises and some of the things we've discussed next time we're going to be talking about the shoulder the hip plays a, a key role but also the shoulder because activities within the upper body if we're not moving right through the shoulders again as you're probably going to know what i'm going to say is going to compromise your low back so thanks again jacob and we'll speak again next time when we're going to focus on the shoulder <laughs>